0: Good afternoon, it is a joy and a blessing to be here today, I'm very encouraged by having many visitors with us, um, I you to know that you're always welcome here, hope that the time that we spend together and the study of God's word can be beneficial to all of us, uh, and I'm confident it will be, not because of my own speaking abilities or anything of that nature, but because God's word has the power. Has the power to nourish us and encourage us, help us be who He wants us to be. And so, as long as we keep the focus there, uh, I know that God will accomplish His purpose among us today. I want to consider today the importance of sincerity. I think sincerity is a virtue, I I fear often is either abused or undervalued. Some are tempted to use sincerity as an excuse for disobedience. That as long as my, my heart is in the right place, it's okay. God understands. You don't have to be overly concerned about obedience or following too rigidly to what God says in his word. After all, it's, it's the heart that counts. But on the other end of the spectrum, I, I think, and, and possibly what, what has been more my struggle is that we've heard the abuse of sincerity enough that we begin to undervalue sincerity and think that it is not that important. Um, We've heard it uh, abused that we, we start thinking that what really matters is not being sincere, but is being right. And if you're right, well, then sincerity is just kind of icing on the cake. But neither of these approaches is... Biblical is correct. We must neither abuse nor undervalue sincerity, but we need to develop a a biblical and balanced perspective uh, of what sincerity should be to the Christian. Uh, And so I think as we look at the scriptures today, we'll see that sincerity, when properly defined, is extremely important to who God wants us to be. It's important to God, and it should be important to us. We just read that passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, where Paul tells Timothy that the goal of their instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The, the goal, the main goal of spiritual growth, the, the measure of whether or not our time here together is wasted, is whether or not we are developing love from A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Uh, This goal is first inward. It's the heart. It's the conscience. It's the inner man. And it is sincere. Pure, good, sincere faith. And so God doesn't just want us to wear the name and go through the motions. He wants us to be the real thing. He wants our devotion to him to be an expression of who we truly are, not just who we try to be or pretend to be. On Sunday. But before we get too far in emphasizing the importance of sincerity, which I, I do hope to do, let's make sure that we properly understand what we are talking about. It is indeed true that it's possible to be sincerely wrong. and We can see many examples of that throughout the scripture. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, later on the apostle Paul, is one example of that that we see. You remember in Acts 23, as Paul is standing trial before the Sanhedrin council, he makes the statement in Acts 23 and verse 1, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, I don't think Paul is saying there that he never sinned, right? Uh, Or that he was always exactly who God wanted him to be. In fact, this is the same man that said in 1 Timothy, I am the chief of sinners when he thought about his past. And yet, how could he say, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience up to this point? Well, I think Paul was one that always strived to do what he thought was right, to live conscientiously before God, to live according to his convictions. And yet, his convictions were not always correct, were they? And so we see Paul also saying later on before Agrippa in Acts 26 and verse 9, I thought myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I I do think Paul, even at that time in his life, was striving to be sincere and conscientious and zealous in what he was doing, but being conscientious and honest didn't make Paul's persecution of Christians right, did it? It didn't lessen Paul's guilt or make his sins any less egregious. Paul's sincerity certainly led towards his conversion, but it alone could not make his actions acceptable in the eyes of God or atone for his wrongs. And we see Paul making this same type of statement about his Jewish brethren. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 2, as Paul talks about others who were in a very similar situation to him, who were continuing to cling to the old covenant and the old law uh, and not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says in Romans 2 and verse 10, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Here, their zeal, their devotion to God was a good and a commendable thing, but it didn't make it okay for them to reject the gospel. (laughs) And there was a deficiency in their service to God as there had been in Paul's life himself. Because they didn't know God's will and God's rightness through Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, these people were little better than the Athenians who were religiously zealous in their worship of the unknown God. And so just because we are zealous, just because we are sincere, does not necessarily mean that we are currently doing the right thing. If you want to open your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 13 with me. So in, in our Old Testaments, uh, after First and 2 Samuel, First and Second Kings, we get to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. You may remember uh, the story about David, as he wants to transport the Ark of the Covenant back into the, the tabernacle at this time, uh, because it had not been there uh, previously. It had been stolen by the Philistines earlier in, in the time of Samuel. And he wants to bring it back to where it's supposed to be. And you notice here in First Chronicles chapter 13, we start reading in verse 1, it says, Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I think David's intentions here are very good. Uh, he wants to seek the Lord. He wants to seek the Lord in a way that Saul, King Saul, his predecessor, hadn't been seeking God. He wants to bring the, the ark of God, the symbolism of God's presence back to where it belongs. And he wants to do this in such a way that is going to encourage all of the people to seek God the way that they should. However, if you know this story, if you read on in 1 Chronicles 13, the way in which David went about this incurred a a great demonstration of God's wrath. Here, instead of transporting the Ark as was instructed on the shoulders of the Levites, he puts it on an ox cart, what it had been on when it came back from the Philistines. Uh, And when Uzzah, one of the men who had lived in the house with the Ark, he was the son of Abinadab where the Ark had been staying, saw that the Ark was was shaking and, and reached out to stabilize it, God struck him dead. And so... While the intentions here were very good, and we shouldn't undermine that at all, uh, that didn't mean that everything that David did was okay. And in fact, 1 Chronicles 15, David learns the lesson that God intended for him to learn. He says in verse 13, as he's talking to the priests and the Levites and getting ready to move the ark a second time. He tells them because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. Why did God strike us dead? You know, there are a whole lot of people throughout the Bible, throughout history that God could have struck dead and didn't, right? God didn't strike Pharaoh dead. God didn't strike Herod or Pilate or Judas Iscariot dead. When he does that... It's usually because he wants to drive home the point. He wants us to get something, to get a lesson here. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel 6, it says that Uzzah was struck down because of his irreverence. Uh, and so here God is trying to teach David and teach the people that this irreverent act of not doing what I, I instructed to do, anybody who should have known that, certainly Uzzah who had lived in the same house as the ark for all those years should have known, It's intended to teach us something. And what David learns from this is that we need to seek God, but we need to seek Him according to the ordinance. Is seeking God a good thing? Most definitely. It's the most foundational aspect of who we are supposed to be. We are to seek God with all of our hearts, seek Him first, seek Him diligently. And yet we are also to seek him according to his word and obedience to his word. It's interesting in 2 Samuel's account of this event, in 2 Samuel 6, the very previous chapter, 2 Samuel 5, talks about David inquiring of the Lord twice before he goes out to battle against the Philistines. And he's getting ready to do something. He says, well, let's ask the Lord. He's getting ready to do it again. He says, well, let's ask the Lord about this aspect of it. The very next chapter, who is he consulting with? Well, here in in 1 Chronicles 13, he consulted with the captains. He consulted with the leaders. He consulted with the people. He even says, if this is of the Lord. And yet he fails to seek God according to the ordinance. And so God's reaction here is not to, to look down on what's going on and say, oh, yeah, that, that's not really exactly what I wanted, but you know what? At least they mean well. Now, God took this opportunity to teach us a lesson that we need to be very serious about doing what is right, about being obedient to what God has said. Good intentions must drive us to pay good attention to God's word. However, Having made that point, we need to say that if if that is all that comes to our mind when we think about sincerity, and if that's all that we say about sincerity, then we have missed the bulk of what the Bible has to say about sincerity. Yes, what we just said is true. It's important. It's biblical. But let's not undermine the value of sincerity, because God has a whole lot more to say about how important sincerity is. How that is where it has to start. Yes, it is possible to be sincerely wrong, but brethren, it is not possible to be insincerely right. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, here Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount warns against our attitude, our motives, and our reason in serving him. Here in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Later on in verse 5, he says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Down in verse 16, he says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Brother, does God want us to be practicing Righteousness. Practicing righteousness is a very good thing. Does God want us to be giving to the poor? Yes, he wants us to be serving other people in need, showing the compassion of Christ. Does God want us to be praying? Most definitely. And even fasting, I think we see as something that as we seek to be genuinely devoted to the Lord and grow spiritually is something that is commendable uh, and something that, that we should do. But what's the problem here in Matthew 6? Matthew 6. Is that they weren't doing the right things? Well, no, the primary issue is their heart, their attitude, their motives in doing those things. And incidentally, it does affect the way that they do them as well. But we, we can be doing all the right things. We can be practicing righteousness, giving to the poor. We can be praying and fasting diligently. But if our heart is not where it's supposed to be, it doesn't matter what motions we've been going through. If we've been going through all the right motions, if our heart is not sincerely given to the Lord, then it doesn't matter at all. Obedience, however diligent, however precise, without sincerity, is not truly obedience at all. We see this again in Matthew 15 Jesus rebuking the Pharisees here, he says, you hypocrites, in Matthew 15, verse 7 through 9, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. We we come together every week uh, to, to worship together, to express honor to God. We, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. We day in and day out bow our heads in prayer to the Lord. We open up our Bibles at home and we read them. And we can be doing all of that. But if our hearts aren't given to the Lord, then our worship is vain. That I means empty, worthless, valueless before God. Just going through the motions, even if those motions are exactly what God wants us to be doing if our hearts are not where they need to be, God's going to say, I I don't want that. God wants it to start with our hearts. And Matthew 6 and Matthew 15 are, are just two of many times that Jesus denounces hypocrisy, the polar opposite of sincerity. We see again in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, if you want to turn your Bibles there with me. Here, Jesus has a very lengthy Rebuke of the hypocrisy, specifically of the Pharisees here. Starting in verse 25, he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What is more important? What is more foundational to our relationship with God? Cleansing the inner man or cleansing the outer man? sincerity or outward obedience. You notice there in verse 26, he says, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside may be clean also. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this later. It's not that the outward things are unimportant. In fact, we already talked about that with, with David seeking God according to the ordinance, right? But this is where it has to start. If any of those outward things are going to be pleasing to God, we must first fully devote our hearts to him. We must first clean the inside of the cup. It starts with our hearts. Having in our, hearts, our hearts in the right place doesn't ensure that everything we're doing in the moment is pleasing to God. But it does ensure that we're moving in the right direction. I want us to look at one other passage uh, along these lines in Romans chapter 14. If you'll turn over there, Romans chapter 14. Here we see there is a, a conflict going on between those who believe they need to continue to keep some of the Jewish food laws, continue to celebrate some of the Jewish feasts, and those who recognize that under the new covenant, they no longer have to keep those, those food laws um, of the law of Moses. But notice what Paul addresses here. Paul's main concern in Romans 14, is not to make sure they understand that they're no longer under the old covenant, that they're under the new covenant. That's not the main point, or it doesn't feel that's the most important thing that they need to to know uh, at this moment. He says in verse five of Romans 14, one person regards one day above another, talking about Jewish feast days, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So what's the answer, Paul? Are we supposed to keep these feast days? Are we not supposed to keep these feast days? He says, you, you be convinced, you be convicted in your own mind. And as we go on, notice what he then says in verse 14 of this chapter. He does give us the answer to this question. He says in verse 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean. To him, it is unclean. So, what, what's the answer, Paul? Well, okay, the, the answer is that no, you're not under those food laws anymore. No, you don't have to observe them. But if you're convicted that you need to observe them and you do it anyway, to you, it is unclean. Notice what he then says in verse twenty through uh, or twenty two and twenty three. At the end of this, he says, "The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin." Why is this man condemned? I, I thought we could eat these things. Well, yes, you can, but if you're convicted that you're not supposed to and you do it anyway. God's looking at your heart and he knows that your heart is not living by sincere faith. And that is going to make you guilty before God. And so sincerity cannot ultimately make a wrong action right. But insincerity can make a right action wrong. We must live by our convictions, not by our presumptions. Um, what one benefit of having Eric and Jen li- live with us is that I was able to go to Eric this morning for uh, uh, an illustration that I could use. He, he told me about um, a time recently when Ellie was drawing a picture and she was sk- scribbling on, on her paper and Eric uh, looked at it and he said, Oh, that, that's so pretty, Ellie. And Ellie said, Dad, th- this is scribbling. You're not supposed to scribble. Our, my, my teacher, Ms. Demko, tells me all the time that I'm not supposed to scrimple, scribble. Uh, and Eric said, well, well at, you know, at, at this time, it's okay to sc- scribble. But Ellie, if you thought it was wrong, then why were you doing it? Right? Now, it w- wasn't wrong. But here, if she is knowingly doing something that she thinks to be wrong, well, maybe this is a teaching moment. Maybe we need to work on this, right? And so sometimes that's us right? If if we are convicted that we shouldn't be doing this, but we think, well, you know, maybe you'd be okay, I'll do it anyway. It doesn't matter if it's wrong or right. That attitude convicts us in the eyes of God. And so we need to live by our convictions, not by our presumptions. God cares so much about sincerity in his people that we can be doing the right thing, but if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, it is sin. So, is sincerity important? It is extremely important to God. And God is merciful and patient to the sincere. Now, while God is patient and merciful towards all people, I think we see that He extends a special measure of forbearance towards those who are sincere in their pursuit of Him. We can go back to the example of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, before he was converted. And you notice what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says he was a blasphemer, a a persecutor of the church, a violent aggressor. Now, was every blasphemer, every persecutor, every violent aggressor given a Damascus Road moment when Jesus appeared to them and and called them to to change their life and turn to him? Well, no, not everyone was. Why was Paul given that moment? I think we see here because God knew Paul's heart. Because God considered him faithful. God knew that he was acting ignorantly in his unbelief. And that didn't excuse it. That didn't make anything that Paul had done okay. But God knew that he had the type of heart that because of his sincerity, when approached with the truth, would make a 180 turn and fully devote himself to serving Christ. Paul's sincerity didn't make his wrong actions right. But it was the reason that God intervened in his life in such a dramatic way. It was the reason that Paul surrendered to God's call and became a passionate servant of Christ. And so, while we, we can't just kind of hang our hats on sincerity and say, well, as long as I'm sincere, it's okay, sincerity, genuine sincerity, as God defines it, is going to have a profound effect in our response. Uh, to God and, and his mercy towards us. I think we see this as well with the example of, of King David and King Saul. If you want to turn in your Bibles to, to 1 Samuel 15, I want you to think for a moment uh, about King Saul and King David. Why, why is it that God rejected Saul as king and yet promised David to establish his throne forever? What, was it because Saul sinned and David didn't? Well, no. If you look here in 1 Samuel 15, first of all, we see God's rejection of Saul as king. And here in chapter 15, in verse 24, Saul had been commanded to go and utterly wipe out the Amalekites. They were an immoral and a wicked people, and God was going to judge them. And so he instructed Saul to go out and not to spare anything but to completely wipe them out, and Saul failed to do that. He used his own reasoning and didn't fully obey the Lord in this. And when Samuel rebukes him about it, in verse 24, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I am indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I fear the people and listen to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Here, Saul says, I I have sinned. Listen, I, I know that the way I handled this, what was wrong, because I feared the people, because I listened to what they said, but please pardon my sin and let me go and worship with you. And God says, no. God says, Through Samuel, you have rejected my word and I'm rejecting you from being king. Now compare that to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. Remember David's sin. David here uh, lusted after Bathsheba and ended up committing adultery with her to cover up this sin. He tried to, to hide it by ultimately having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed on the battlefield arranging for this in a way that doubtlessly caused other people in that battle to be killed. Here we we have murder and adultery and deception going on in David's life. And Nathan confronts him about it. And here in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Now there are some consequences of David's sin. The, the child died throughout the rest of his life. He had turmoil in his own family because of these actions. But why the difference? Why, why does Samuel say, no, God's rejected you from being king? And here Nathan says, God has, has put away your sin. Is it that, that Samuel was just a, a really mean guy and Nathan was a nice guy? Is that, that's certainly not. No, these are messengers of the Lord. And God knew Saul's heart. And God knew David's heart. I I think it's interesting, uh, David just says, I have sinned, period. Saul says, I have sinned because of this and because of that, and please pardon me and let's go worship, right? I think we maybe see some indication of what the real attitude is going on here. But God knew their hearts. And God knew that David had a broken and a contrite spirit that he writes about in Psalm 51. And one man goes down throughout history as being a man after God's own heart. And one as a rejected king. Why? Because David's sins weren't as bad as Saul's sins? In fact, I I think when we look at these two situations, we probably think David's sins are, are a lot worse, right? No, but because of the heart. Because a heart that despite sin genuinely wanted to turn to the Lord genuinely wanted to be who God wanted them to be so is the sincerity important it's the difference between being a man after God's own heart and God taking his spirit away from us i'm going to look at one other example while we're in the old testament here in second chronicles so after first and second samuel for second kings we come to first and second chronicles and let's look in second chronicles chapter 30 I want to read a slightly larger section here about King Hezekiah's reforms. Now, the the nation of uh, Judah at this point has been very disobedient to God. They haven't been following God's law in any way, shape, or form. And Hezekiah comes to the throne and he determines, we're going to serve God. We're going to change things around. We're going to start being who God wants us to be. And so he starts reading the law and instituting all these reforms. And one of those reforms is to reinstitute the Passover feast. The Passover that commemorated their deliverance from Egypt. And so start reading with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 13. It says, Now many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread, Uh, In the second month, a very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. And the priests and Levites were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood at their stations after their custom according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore the Levites were over the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was unclean, in order to consecrate them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Iskar, and Zebulun, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon Everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. We just made the contrast between Saul and David. I mean, now to make the contrast between David moving the ark and Hezekiah instituting these reforms. Here, what's going on here is they are celebrating the the Passover feast, but many of the people have not cleansed themselves the way that the law told them to. And Hezekiah prays that God will pardon, and he does. God doesn't strike somebody dead. God, in his mercy, sees that they have prepared their hearts and accepts their worship. Why? Why? Why the difference here? Now, I think we need to recognize their sincerity did not make wrong actions right, but they did cause God to show great mercy and patience as they continued to grow and work to make the proper changes in their service to him. And that brings us to our our last point. Sincerity is a pathway to change, never an excuse for disobedience. When you think about this situation here in 2 Chronicles with Hezekiah, it's interesting that they are celebrating the Passover feast in the second month on the 14th day. Now, generally, the Passover was to be observed on the first month in the 14th day. The only time that we see in the Old Testament them being instructed to celebrate it on the second month in the 14th day is in Numbers chapter 9 as a provision for those who were ceremonially unclean during the first Passover, right? So if they didn't, if they weren't clean in the first month, then God made a provision in the law, Numbers 9, that they could celebrate the feast in the second month on the 14th day. Well, here, as they're making these reforms, and as they're learning what God wants of them, they realize we haven't celebrated the Passover. We need to do this to the Lord, We've already missed the first month in the 14th day. In the law, there's a provision that on the second month in the 14th day, we can celebrate the Passover then. And so they do that, but there are people who are ceremonially unclean, and they don't have the, the, the time um, to become go through this period of uncleanness and become clean as the law indicated that they needed to. And so they say, God, we're trying to serve you, and we're in a situation here where we, we cannot... Uh, come and and worship you the way prescribed because we didn't know what we were supposed to do a month ago. And God recognizes their sincerity in striving to change and striving to please him and he and his mercy cleanses them. But I want you to think for a moment, what what if the following year these Israelites came up and they said, okay, we're ready to celebrate the Passover and uh, God, you know what you did last year? you remember how we weren't clean like we were supposed to be and and you forgave us? We we were wondering, could could you just do that again this year? Would that be okay? (laughs) Not at all, no. And so I think the difference between God striking us a dead and God here hearing Hezekiah's prayer is here are people who are genuinely striving for the first time to seek God according to the ordinance. They know that in Numbers 9, that they're supposed to, on the, on the second month, there's this provision if they were unclean in the first month. They're striving, and they're in a situation where because of their past disobedience, they feel like there's no other way to serve the Lord. God sees their hearts. He sees their sincerity. And he and his mercy accepts that. And so I think what we need to learn here is that sincerity is extremely important to God. But it's a pathway to change, not an excuse for disobedience. If we're using sincerity as an excuse for disobedience, brethren, it's not sincerity. No, genuine sincerity is going to drive us to more diligent obedience to the Lord. And so if we're convincing ourselves that we're sincere when we're not doing what God told us to do, then we're defining it a different way than the Bible's defining it. Now, genuine sincerity is going to make the change. And I think if we go back to Matthew 23 that we read earlier, Matthew chapter 23, remember what Jesus says here to the Pharisees. We'll start back in verse 23 of this chapter. It says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others.'" You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. God makes it very clear that where it starts is our hearts. Clean the inside of first that is the foundation if you don't have that it doesn't matter if you're doing what's right you're not doing what's right your heart is not given to the Lord but notice in the language here they in verse 23 and 24 had neglected the most foundational aspects of their service to God the inner man the character that God wanted them to have God describes it as straining the gnat and swallowing the camel what's the point that God's making there is that get the camel out don't worry about those gnats Well, no, he says, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. It's not that, you know, well, a few gnats doesn't matter. Well, no, God wants us to be very diligent, to completely cleanse our hearts, that they might be what God wants them to be. The point is, you don't get that camel out, the gnats are going to continue to be swarming around him, it's not going to work. He goes on in verse 26, First clean the inside of the cup of this, so that the outside may become clean also. Is it that God doesn't want the outside to be clean? Well, no. We start with the heart. We start with sincerity. That it might make a change within our lives to fully in every aspect be who God wants us to be. And so sincerity is of the utmost importance. Let's never undervalue or undermine sincerity. To think that, that, well, As long as you're right, sincerity doesn't really matter. Not at all. Sincerity is of the utmost importance. It starts here. If we don't get this right, it doesn't matter what else we have right. But genuine sincerity is not content with good intentions. Genuine sincerity is going to be diligent to pay attention to God's word, is going to be serious about obedience, is not going to use God's patience and mercy as an excuse not to make the changes. That we need to make. So what about you? What about me today? As we look into the mirror of God's word. What what do we see about our own hearts? Is our service to God just going through the motions? If it is. It's worthless. It doesn't matter. One bit. We need to fully give our hearts to the Lord. First and foremost. And then everything else in time. Will follow. Have you fully given your heart to the Lord? If you recognize that there is some way in in which your heart is not right with the Lord today, don't leave here without making that right. The the reason that we're here is to support and encourage each other in our service to the Lord. And if there's any way that we can help you in giving your life to the Lord, giving your life back to the Lord, that's what we want to do. If, If there's some sin in your life of public nature, that that you want to to share with these brethren, that we can be praying together for you, that we can in any way support and encourage you. Won't you do that now? And if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never buried your old man of sin in baptism, and by God's grace and the power of Jesus' resurrection, been raised out of that water to a new life, you can make that commitment today. If you have any need, won't you please make it known at this time as we sing together.